You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Ice Maker. We've lived in a few houses in my life, and one of the houses that my family moved in, we were going through this house, and it turns out some people that we knew told us about, they were moving out, they lived there seven years and we walk through, they kind of, you know, somebody like that, they kind of know the whole lay of the land. They know what's wrong, where stuff doesn't work, all the stuff. So we walked through it with it, and we got to the refrigerator. And he said, the refrigerator's a good refrigerator, but the ice maker doesn't work. And I said, okay. So I'm thinking, okay, what's that going to cost to have a guy come out and fix the ice maker if you want to mess with that? So, you, you know, we wouldn't want to have to open it and get the ice out. We wanted it to come out the hole in the door, right? So <laughs> tuck that away. They move out. We move in. A guy comes through that's kind of helping me troubleshoot, say, okay, what can we do about this, do about this? And we get to the refrigerator, and I said, okay, the ice maker doesn't work. Could you check it? So we pulled the refrigerator out. It was hard to get out, but we get it, you know, it rolls out there finally. You don't want to scrape the sides and the wall. We get it out. We get back in there, and this plumber friend of mine reaches down where the little water connection is, and he turns the water on. (laughs) And guess what? That ice maker works. So I let it run for a while, let it cycle, and bam, there's ice. So I called this guy. It's probably not a very nice thing to do, but I called him. <laughs> I said, hey, we're you know, working on the stuff at the house, and so you know your ice maker? Yeah. I said, I think it works. He said, really? I said, yeah, you got to turn the water on. <laughs> and he mumbled to me. I could hear him mumbling on the phone, I am such an idiot. So, it is possible to have a fully functioning life and live without something working unnecessarily. It is possible that everything you're wishing you had, everything that is just right there, you think, well, it's a malfunction. It doesn't work. God didn't show up. He didn't provide. He's not going to take care of me. And it's not an ice maker. It's my whole life. And yet, everything you need for life is in Christ Jesus. And non-Christians say, it just can't be that easy. You keep talking about this dead guy. Well, let me tell you something. This dead guy is not dead. He did die, but he's not dead. And if Jesus is dead, he can't help me. But if he's alive, and since he is alive, then he's come down here and lived life, died death, buried, raised from the dead. There's nothing he can't take. So if I'm hooked up to him and it's flowing, you can't stop that. So here's what I want us to talk about today a little bit. We're going to read a pretty tragic story in the scriptures is that what you need may be right there, right there. It just right there. And you may not know how to access it. You may not want to, you know, think about it. You may be too proud to admit maybe the water's just turned off. You didn't check that. But your whole life, your eternity could be at stake. And if you're a Christian, your life could be at stake. Now for me personally, I grew up and I knew my ice waker wasn't working. Just wasn't working. I had the fridge, some things. I knew if I died, I'd go to heaven, but something wasn't working. And I did not know what to do about it. And I'm going to tell you what will happen to you. You will get desperate at some point. 
and you will run your traps of trying to fill your life with whatever you can find to fill it, another person, another chemical, another whatever, something to make that emptiness go away, to make it work. Go buy ice and put it in there and make it look like it's working. It doesn't work. It should be working naturally. And then you'll get so desperate, you'll finally say, I need help. And you'll begin to cry out to God and say, God, you got to help me. And you got to send help. And let me tell you something about my God. He shows up. Now, it took a while because there are very few people on the planet who are willing to show up and help. And you're supposed to be one of those people. See, there are people out there praying, going, God, send me some help. And you go, well, I'm busy. You know, I got stuff to do, dude. I mean, oh God, you better find some preacher dude that's been to seminary and all that because I couldn't possibly be the person you need, you know, I can't fix their life. And when you let him change yours and all of a sudden you're available and you can help somebody figure it out. All that plumber did was pull the refrigerator out and turn the ice maker on by running the water. Now go to 2 Kings chapter 6 with me. And let's jump in at verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the traitor? And one of the servants says, it's not us king, none my lord, O king, but Elisha. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. You're dealing with a God who's got a prophet who knows what you're talking about everywhere you go. And that God reveals that to Elijah. And so every time you even think something, God reveals it to Elijah and he can bust up your plan. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. I want this guy. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now you say, well, that's not true. There's only you and I, Elisha. How can that be true? We're surrounded, and you're saying those that are with us are more than with them. There is more than you see going on. And at some point, you've got to get a grip. You've got to get your head around this. You've got to start living by faith and realize, kind of like the matrix, there's a reality and then there's a real reality behind the reality. So what you see in the real world, what you think is real, is not even the real. There's a spiritual world behind it. Now look at what Elijah prays. This whole Dothan is surrounded by this army. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray open his eyes that he may see. He doesn't say open my eyes. I don't need to have my eyes open. Either he could already see it or like, I don't need to see it. I know they're there. So he says, pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and what did you think he saw? And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. They sent an army after one guy. Why do you think? Because he had an army of his own. Whether they knew that or not, it was a fact. 
So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So, duh, you know, I'm right here, but they, you know, they got blinded. You say, well, that's Elisha. He prayed stuff and stuff happened. Why is that not happening to us? Man, you got a name you can drop. You call to God in Jesus' name, stuff happens. It has to happen. There is no name above that name. You can't call on anybody's name bigger than that. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and there they were inside Samaria, their enemies. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow, set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master? Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So that took care of that. Now look at verse 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. They're selling donkey heads and dove droppings because people were so hungry for a lot of money. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, he's walking around, they're trapped in this city, surrounded by the enemy. A woman cried out to him saying, help, O my Lord King. And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? There's nothing there. If God doesn't help you, then I can't help you. Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? Now this is a city that has been surrounded and they are trying to starve them to death. They cannot leave the city. The enemy has trapped them, surrounded them. And this is her problem. What is troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. You say, well, that's cannibalism. That's absurd. No one would ever do that. You ever been so hungry you'd eat your own kid? You ever been in a place that was so messed up that's what was going on? You see, that's trouble. And here's her dilemma. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, now give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. And I made the deal and we ate my son and now she won't give her son. See, there's something very shocking about hearing that, isn't there? Like what the heck kind of person would boil their son to provide food? What the heck kind of God would string and nail his son to a cross for me? I think that's even more twisted. And if you think that's not messed up, then apply it to you. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes, a sign of grief. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked and there underneath he had on sackcloth on his body and another sign of grief. He was wearing sackcloth. Then he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat remains on him today, but Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? In other words, the king is coming and he knew he was coming. 
Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? You cannot stop waiting for God. You cannot take matters into your own hands. You cannot rule God out. Because when you leave him out and you start making things happen, it's out of anger, it's out of bitterness. You're just, you're furious maybe at God and the whole thing. Here he is going to kill Elisha because he thinks it's Elisha's fault. Some of the junk that's going on in our lives is a result of our own behavior. You've got to stop flipping God off and complaining to God about all this junk he's dumped on you. You could be bringing it on yourself and not know it. And that's not a bad place to start. The scripture talks about search me and try me. Climb in a closet somewhere and say, God, what is going on in my life that is directly attributable to me, to my choices, to consequences? Keep reading. Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Now it's God's fault. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I give up. I'm not waiting. Then Elisha, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow. Now, we got moms boiling their kids. And now he says, tomorrow, about this time, a sea of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. In other words, it's going to completely turn around. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? he'd have to open the windows of heaven and drop it out of the sky. And by the way, this phraseology of windows in heaven is when Noah, the flood, and in Malachi, when he talks about giving and tithing, he said, see if God won't open for you the windows of heaven. God is sitting there waiting to open the windows on your life. You say, what does that mean? I'm gonna be rich. No, there's better things than being rich. It's being healthy spiritually and getting a life the same picture now get this you have a city filled with people who are so hungry they're eating donkey heads eating dove poop and boiling their own kids to eat and this guy says look if the lord would make windows in heaven could this thing be and he said in fact you shall see it with your eyes but you shall not eat of it you're going to see it but you won't get to eat of it even though you're hungry there won't be anything for you now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate and they said to one another, so they're not in the city, they're not taken by the enemy yet, they're right at the gate. So they won't let the lepers in the city and the Samaritans won't have anything to do with them who've surrounded the place. The king won't do it who've surrounded the place. So here's what they say, their conversation. Why are we sitting here until we die? That is a great question for you to ask yourself. I had a guy helping me on a move and I told him, I said, you know, I walked in my house and I looked at all the stuff I had to move and I kept looking at it and I looked at it some more and it didn't move. I don't know why they call it a move. It didn't move. <laughs> and no matter how long I looked at all that stuff, it never moved until what? Until I moved. You just going to sit there the rest of your life? Woe is me. They don't want me in the city. The enemy doesn't even want me. I'm so messed up. Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine's in the city. So we're not going in there and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall only die. We're just going to die. We're going to die anyway. So let's try it. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Now watch this. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. 
For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. You cannot rule out the hand of God, the noise of God. He can do anything. Well, I can't run that enemy off. I can't get rid of those people. God can. So keep reading. So God makes a noise, caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So the enemy said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians. And they knew who it was, <laughs> which I love this stuff. It's the Egyptians. It's their chariots. So even the sound effects sound like Egyptian and Hittite chariots. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys, they didn't even take time to get on a horse and run. They left everything and took off and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went in and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also. A bunch of lepers out here, you know, scavengers. They're grabbing everything they can grab because there's nobody but them because everybody else is hiding in the city. They gather another tent, carried some from there also, went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. You should underline that verse. Because at some point, what has happened to you if you are a Christian is you're just gathering it for you. Oh, God is so good. My God, mine, all mine. And you're surrounded with starving people. Starving people, boiling their kids. Anyway, what's up with this? There's nothing. God's abandoned us. And at least these lepers come to themselves. This is not right. This is a day of good news. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. This is so not right. We've got to go declare the good news that what people need is right here. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them saying, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, well, let me tell you what the Syrians have done to us. I'll tell you what's really going on. And look at his explanation. They know that we are hungry, therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. It's a trick. Let me tell you something. When God is up to something, it's not always some trick of the devil. Sometimes he's just blessing you. And one of the servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed I say they may become like all of the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Let's check it out at least. Therefore, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of flour was sold for a shekel. There was so much flour, it was cheap and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. So remember the guy that went to Elisha that was gonna kill Elisha? And Elisha said, tomorrow this is gonna to happen. You'll see it, but you won't eat. 
the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate. They are so starved, they trampled him to death getting out to the camp. And he died just as the man of God had said who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king saying, two seas of barley for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. Now let me tell you what I'm trying to tell you. You are so stinking close, you cannot believe it. If you're not a Christian, your hope, your answer, your rescue is literally on the tip of your tongue. Today, if you hear his voice, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, it's all yours, you'll be saved. You say, well, I think it's a trick. I think God's trying to trick me. I think God's trying to get me to surrender to him. Then he's gonna really jack my life up. Worse than it is? What could he possibly come up with that is worse than what you've come up with? You say, well, I'm scared. You should be more scared of what's gonna happen if you don't respond. You say, well, now you're trying to scare me. Absolutely, I am trying to stay so calm and scare you at the same time you can't imagine. One way I explain this to people is if I took you and put a plastic bag over your head and duct tape around your neck and sealed you in that bag, how long do you think you've got? It's not many minutes, right? You're gone just like that. It is possible to be surrounded, atmospherically surrounded with air pressure on your body, on your head, even as you try to suck air in on your face and all you get is plastic. It is possible to be surrounded with the very thing you need to stay alive and you can't get to it. You can't get to it and you die. He is right there, right there. And literally to believe is to not suffocate anymore. It's to go and take him in, just breathe him in. I'm alive, I can breathe, I'm gonna make it. Why do you think you meet Christians who really get it and they're just so stinking excited they're like airborne half the time? Because when you've been dead, or you've been dying, or when you've been starving, when you've been desperate, and somebody finally gets you some air, you can't stop talking about that. Because it will change your life. This is not some religion. This is real. And you wouldn't be listening if you weren't looking. You wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't be out there sitting in your car or wherever you're listening to this if you didn't think there was something to it. And if you die without him, it's hell. It's hell. Living without him is hell. And maybe some people think, well, why do you get all worked up about this? You know what? I'm fine. Shoot me. I'm out of here. I'm going home. Why am I so worked up? It's over you. Who's this appealing to? I don't need this. Eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. This is why God has left me alive. I've got to do this or I don't have a reason to be here. You need to find out why you're here. Why has God left you here? What is he trying to do in you? And then what is he trying to do through you? Figure that out. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. 
So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. One of my favorite scenes in any movie is the Titanic. The ship's going down and there's that one guy in the rowboat. You know that guy in the rowboat? All the rich people piled in there, you know, no room in here for us. This guy's out there. Is there anybody here? Remember that? Is there anybody here? And he's desperately rowing around there, blowing that whistle. And finally he hears somebody. That's your job. Your job is not to wake up and go, oh, I got to go that stupid job again. That's not your job. Your job is to wake up and go, I'm alive. There's a reason even if I hate my job, I love my job. Because I'm going to meet some people today who can't breathe, who are starving to death. They're boiling their babies. They're doing crazy stuff. And I'm going to get sent into that battlefield. And I'm going to show them there's loot everywhere. The thing you've been dreaming of your whole life, it's Jesus. And everything you've wanted is in Him. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.